Okay, we're, uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo, too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo, too. I am back at it. Colby Powell here with you on the Pistols Firing Podcast. No Carson Cunningham this week. Uh, sorry we haven't got an episode out in a while. We have not been around for a while. Carson, uh, as anyone who follows him on Twitter knows, he went to a Taylor Swift concert last week, um, and apparently it was incredible, and now I believe he's somewhere in Mexico. Might be back in the country by now, uh, but I know Carson is out, and then I've been out in Tahoe this week. Uh, for the American Century Championship, but I am back. Thought about waiting until early next week to get together with Carson. Carson and I will still get together, but there's so much going on right now. I wanted to dive in to some of it to close out this week. Big 12 Media Days being this week. Gundy talking, Venables talking, of course. Uh, so let's dive in to all that. Big 12 Media Days, Mike Gundy. Um, he did what Mike Gundy does. He was personable. Uh, he spoke well. He spoke intelligently about his team, about uh, conference realignment, and about NIL and the transfer portal. And, you know, he had the, the quote that kind of um, caught some people's eyes, kind of like religion and politics. We just we don't really talk about the transfer portal anymore uh, because it, there's so much going on uh, right now in the portal. There's good. There's bad. Uh, we see that, you know, last week, Kenny Gajewski's statement uh, about Kelly Maxwell. You know, you, you have good. You have bad in the transfer portal. Oklahoma State has had a lot of that. Uh, and Gundy's point was pretty much, you know, 10 or 12 guys go out, 10 or 12 guys come in, uh, but we'll get to that momentarily. First, I, I do want to talk about the Bedlam conversation, and Mike Gundy was asked about it, Brent Venables was asked about it, and it's not necessarily that anything new was said this week. You know, OU has been pretty consistent, and Brent Venables came out and said, yeah, I'd love to play the game, I love rivalries, I love this, I love that. Don't love staying in the Big 12, don't love discussing with Oklahoma State when we're going to leave and go to the SEC. Don't love that. Don't love leaving Oklahoma State, uh, presumably in the lurch. And, you know, if the Big 12 dies and they wind up not in a Power 5 conference, then sorry about that. We don't love that, but we love rivalries. Okay, okay, fair enough. But here's what I appreciate about Mike Gundy. And anyone who's listened to this show for the last few years knows that I can be harsh on Mike Gundy, um, normally about things like recruiting and fourth down and one, fourth down and two kicking decisions. But Mike Gundy does do and say a lot of things that I really like. And I appreciate how strong Mike Gundy has been with his messaging about Bedlam. It has not been a no comment. It hasn't been a, well, we'll see what the future holds. It hasn't been any of that. And it didn't need to be any of that. Mike Gundy has very strongly said what he needs to say about Oklahoma leaving and going to the SEC. They made the decision. He said, you know, I'm excited about the conference, what we have, the schedules that are being played. Um... Oklahoma and Oklahoma State don't have to play, and that was Oklahoma's decision. He said, look, we've got nine conference games scheduled, and then for the next 15 years, we're scheduled all the way up, we're full for the most part, and we have power five teams in the non-conference. All true. Now, it, it's interesting. He noted the nine conference games. little subtle shot there at the SEC, which I appreciate. They only play eight conference games. It's, pretty, it's a lot easier for OU playing eight conference games, a couple of which are probably going to be, you know, Vanderbilt and whoever playing eight conference games to want to schedule in Oklahoma State in the non-conference, especially considering the history of Bedlam and the way that that game has gone. I, I just, I don't think it makes any sense in the modern college football landscape. Everything is changing so rapidly. Transfer portal, NIL, all these things that every single win and loss matters to keep the momentum rolling from season to season so that the guys who are on the roster now 
want to stay on the roster and other guys want to come in because now you're not only recruiting out of high school, JUCO, whatever, you're recruiting every college campus in the country and in the transfer portal. You're recruiting the players on your own team and you're recruiting at the high school level. Every win, every loss matters. It's Look, this isn't an opinion thing. Oklahoma wins 80, what, 3% of the Bedlam games throughout history and, and a higher percentage of that in Mike Gundy's tenure. The game just has not gone very well for Mike Gundy, but I, I appreciate that he has not been passive in the way that he has spoken about this game. He said, uh, Oklahoma State is not going to change what we do because Oklahoma chose to go to the SEC. They need to change what they do because they're the ones that made their mind up to go to the SEC. Uh, let's see. He went on here to say um, Oklahoma, all Oklahoma had to do was not go to the SEC. It is what it is. He said that he'll listen to the board, the AD, the president, whatever. If, if it's something they want to do, he'll listen. And maybe that conversation is had somewhere down the road. But he specifically said, I'm good. I don't think it's going to happen based on the way the scheduling is. And this, this final quote, just kind of to, to stick the landing, everybody needs to realize it didn't have to happen if they didn't change leagues. And as much as the other side is going to push back and say Oklahoma State's scared, this, that, and the other, again, Oklahoma made its decision. So whenever they start spouting the nonsense, let them spout. It's what they do. It is what they've always done. But they made their decision. That is the reason that Bedlam is going away. Not because Oklahoma State is scared. Not because, you know, people are bitter. It, it's because OU chose to go be somewhere else, leave Oklahoma State behind. That's fine. We've got three non-conference games, and we're not scheduling you every single year. So I appreciate the way that he has been consistent about that. Mike Gundy uh, had a couple of other things that he talked about. Talked about the running clock, and I'm glad that somebody asked him about the running clock because there's been a lot of conversation about the way that Oklahoma State's offense is going to look and operate this year um, under Casey Dunn, obviously. Same offensive coordinator, but it does not feel like the offense is going to look anything what it has looked like over the past nearly half decade now in the Spencer Sanders era where a lot of times it was, um, you know, trying to get him more involved with the run game, but then he's a little bit injury prone, you know, ankles, tweaks, this and that, missing a few weeks here and there. Th this seems like it's going to be a team that's going to line up some more under center. Uh, I fully expect Alan Bowman to be the starting quarterback. The, the stories that are coming out, you know, Brennan Presley goes out to California, works with Alan Bowman. Some of the other receivers go out there too. I think Alan Bowman is the guy. He's a veteran. Uh, you know, even if Rangel sticks around and is the starter down the road, uh, Gunnar Gundy is, is on the roster um, and, and can provide good depth, I think, in that quarterback room. But I think Alan Bowman is the guy. And I think that this offense is going to look very different. And Mike Gundy wants the run game to look very different. Now, he did say that Oklahoma State had already started to um, go through the process of changing its philosophy in the run game prior to this implementation of the running clock um, coming in. I think it's a great rule change, by the way. I've had conversations about this uh, with my family, you know, just at, at Sunday dinner. And it's kind of split as to who likes the idea of the clock continuing to run after a first down, who doesn't like the idea of, a of the clock continuing to run after a first down. I love it. I think college football games have started to take entirely too long, and maybe this is because I've become a dad now, uh, and I've got so much going on, and I'm busy. My time is much more limited than it has ever been, but I don't need a, a four-hour and 15-minute college football game because every time a team picks up 10 yards, we're going to stop the clock for 20 seconds. That adds up over the course of the game. I also think that, like Mike Gundy talked about, 
you know, under the old rules, the clock stops every first down. You've got the lead with six or seven minutes to go in a college football game. It's meaningless. It doesn't mean anything. There's too many possessions left. The clock is stopping so constantly. Now, in the new rules, that's going to matter. Before, it's like, okay, three minutes left. You have a lead. Let's try to go on a three-minute drive. Now, if you're a team that can really run the football and you've got a one-score lead with six or seven minutes to go, we see this all the time in the NFL with a team like uh, San Francisco, for example. They'll get the ball with six minutes left, and they'll just grind out first down after first down after first down, and then they take knees to end the game. That's going to become more of a possibility in college football. I like the strategic element of it at the end of games uh, in that manner, and I like the fact that it is shortening the games. Mike Gundy spoke to a lot of that, um, and I, I pretty much agreed with everything that he had to say there. Uh, Brett Yormark down at Big 12 Media Days. He was asked a lot about expansion. Truthfully, I did not find anything that he said about expansion to be particularly interesting, groundbreaking. I think he very much beat around the bush, and that's fine because he doesn't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, he talked about some, some people viewed him as a disruptor whenever he came in, all that. But as far as anything that's going to happen moving forward, I don't think we got a ton of new information there. One thing that I did think was interesting uh, about Brett Yormark's time at Big 12 Media Days was talking about the potential of weeknight Games. Weeknight games, I think, are a little bit of a double-edged sword. You play on Thursdays and Fridays, I think that you do probably get some more eyeballs, right? People are college football crazed, and for a long time, there's been the occasional uh, big conference matchup on a Thursday or Friday, but normally it, it's lower conference, non-Power 5 conference stuff that you're seeing on those days. Occasionally, you'll get maybe, I, I don't know, a, a Louisville game on a, a Friday night, something like that, but I do think the idea of two Big 12 teams, and, and I don't know if you would do a marquee matchup. I don't know if you would have, uh, you know, a, a Texas-Kansas State game on a Thursday or Friday or something like that. But ju just for the sake of this conversation, let, let's say an Oklahoma State-Baylor game on a Friday night. I think that game does big, big numbers because those are programs that people recognize. And even though both of those schools, I think, probably do better in the ratings on Saturday than people give them credit for, I think that those two teams would do a big number on a Friday night. I think you're going to get more people watching. So I think that that's a bonus. Double-edged sword is, you know, weeknights, attendance, getting to Stillwater, work the next day if it happens to be on a Thursday. Um, I, I don't know if it impacts attendance, particularly in some of the down years, because even in a down year, if it's on a Saturday at 2.30, people are getting out to Stillwater I mean, we've seen pretty consistently over the past 15 years that Boone Pickens Stadium has been mostly packed out. Yeah, the corners are, are, are not fully packed for every single game, especially in the down years. But most of the time on Saturdays, attendance has been good in Stillwater for a long time. Do you risk some of that if you go to Thursdays and Fridays? And, and that's not only a concern in Stillwater, other places too, a lot of Big 12 schools, a lot of college towns in general are away from metropolis areas. People have to travel in. Uh, we see it with basketball, more demands on people's times these days than ever, and people have a hard time getting up there in the middle, middle of the week for basketball games. Now, it's football. It's a bigger deal. If you're winning, that's a bigger deal. Maybe you still get the same amount of attendance, but that's one thing. The other thing is you play on Thursdays and Fridays instead of Saturdays. You're not bringing high school kids in for those games. You're not bringing high school recruits in for those games because guess what? They're playing football. So they're not going to be able to be there. So I think that is something that would be a concern. You would have to make sure that you don't have the same school repeatedly playing on Thursdays or Fridays. And I think that if, if, if there comes a time where there's consistently a Big 12 game on, like every Thursday or every Friday, it becomes a consistent, regular thing that college football fans expect. 
I think that could potentially be good for the Big 12, all those new eyeballs. Uh, but I do think that you have to be careful with the scheduling to make sure that you don't have Oklahoma State playing two or three Thursday, Friday night games. Uh, same with Kansas State, Baylor, TCU, whoever. Make sure that it's probably one a season. You kind of rotate through who gets them. Uh, and, and that I wouldn't have a problem with. Uh, you would also have to have teams coming off a of bye week. In, uh, under no circumstance would I think it would be okay to, to run 19 through 22-year-olds out there on four days rest. They do that in the NFL. Those guys are getting paid millions of dollars. I, I still don't like it at the NFL level. If you have a team playing Sunday afternoon and then you turn around and play them Thursday night, you see a lot of injuries on Thursday night games. I, I don't think, look, that's in, the, that's in the best interest of the money, not in the best interest of, of the players. If it comes a point where the Big 12 starts playing consistent, regular weeknight games, you have to make sure that those teams are always coming off of a bye week uh, so the players do not have to play on short rest. I think that is very important. Uh, Because Carson and I have been out of town, uh, never got to talk about the preseason poll, Oklahoma State was selected seventh in the preseason poll this year going in. Um, Texas was at the top. No no real surprise for me. I'm, I'm actually... Uh, somewhat buying Texas this year, not as a national power or anything like that, but in a Big 12 that I think that there are significant question marks about every team in the conference, including Texas. And, and I think the biggest question mark for Texas is, can they not Texas this up? Can they get out of their own way? And I'm not certain that the answer to that is yes, but I do think that Quinn Ewers uh, is a good player. I, I think that they're going to be good on both lines. If you've got a good quarterback, you've got a good offensive line, you've got a good defensive line, you're going to have to screw some things up to not win a bunch of games. Now, if anybody can screw that up, Texas can screw that up. But I think that they're going to be decent this year. Uh, That's probably who I would have had at number one on my list. Kansas State at number two. Will Howard is still there. They do have to replace Deuce Vaughn uh, and Felix uh, Anudk. Uzoma, that was off the top of my head, so I hope I got that right. Um, I do think Kansas State's going to be good. Will Howard really started to look like a good player toward the end of last year. Uh, I think that is a well-coached football team. They just they come out and they play good football, uh, so I think that they're going to be pretty good. OU in there at three. I think that there are just an infinite number of question marks with the Oklahoma Sooners. Yes, helmet logo is probably part of the reason that they're at three. They do have a lot of talent, though. Dylan Gabriel has shown some things. Uh, maybe he has a great season. Uh, maybe they can win some of those close games they really struggled in a year ago. I, I think there's also huge question marks about whether Brent Venables is a head coach. The reality is he has done it for one season. He's been a head coach for one season in his life at the collegiate level, the Power 5 level. He went 6-7 and seven at the University of Oklahoma. Now, did Lincoln empty the cabinet when he left? Yes. It's the University of Oklahoma. 6-7 and is not the standard. I think there's a lot of questions about Brent Venables. So then you get through the next few uh, Baylor, TCU, uh, and then you you get down to Oklahoma State on the list at number seven. I think it's an appropriate place for Oklahoma State. I also think you can see the, the gap between the teams as you start to get down in the middle and bottom tier of the conference in this poll. The the gap in terms of voting, it was, it was pretty close um, between these teams because there are a lot of unknowns. Oklahoma State legitimately, I think, has a range this year of like, you know, if everything goes absolutely as bad as possible, you lose all your close games and you have injury problems, you, you win four games. If you win a few close games, you don't suffer injuries, you stay relatively healthy, is it crazy to think that Oklahoma State could win nine games? It's not crazy. Alan Bowman could be a good player. We've seen flashes of it. He's veteran. He's experienced. Um, Oklahoma State is going to try to get back to a more traditional offense that we have seen have success time and time again in the Mike Gundy era. Now, is Casey done that guy? We still don't know. 
big question mark there. Can Oklahoma State fill some of the holes that they lost in the transfer portal? Uh, you know, Brendan Presley is going to have to be that guy. John Paul Richardson left. That one was a big one. That one was a shocker. Uh, I think an underrated loss on the defensive side of the ball is Jabbar Muhammad. You know, people talk about uh, Mason Cobb going out to USC. That's a big loss. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I rue the loss of Mason Cobb. That's going to hurt this defense. But Jabbar Muhammad was a really good player on the outside, and he just kept getting better throughout his entire career at Oklahoma State the couple of years that he was there. Every time he took the field, it's like, okay, you kind of notice Jabbar Muhammad. That guy's gone. Um, so who fills in that role? Do you still have a corner that you can really trust out there on the edge? This team has question marks. It also has potential, and I see that with a lot of teams in the Big 12 Conference, Um, even a team like Kansas. Kansas returns 10 starters from that offense. They return a lot of production off of last year's team, which is the first time that they had made a bowl game, uh, I think, since the Challenger crashed. So um, there's going to be a lot of teams in the middle tier of this conference. One thing that, I don't know, maybe we just haven't talked about it because we're not close enough to football season yet. We haven't really dived into the schedules. But one thing that's going to impact the way the conference standings sit at the end of the season is the scheduling because previously, prior to this year in the Big 12, which has had 10 for a long time and is now at 14, they're going from 10 to 14 back to 12 next year. Uh, love, love some conference realignment. But what I think has been a little bit under-discussed is this has been a round-robin conference for a long time now. Everybody plays everybody. There's no ducking. There's no, this team had an easy schedule. This team had a hard schedule. None of that has existed. That exists now. There are going to be teams in the Big 12 Conference that are going to have easier schedules, that are going to have tougher schedules. Uh, you know, how, how many of, do, do you get Houston and Cincinnati in the same season? Or instead of those two, do you have to play Baylor and Texas Tech? A Texas Tech team that is supposed to be really improved with Tyler Shaw coming on at the end of last year. This is supposed to be, allegedly, one of the best, uh, big, one of the best Texas Tech teams that we have seen in quite some time. So, I think in the middle uh, of the Big 12, there's going to be a ton of parity, and it truly is going to come down to who wins some of these close one-score games, and Mike Gundy has been good at that in his career at Oklahoma State. I think there's, the, I think there's reason for cautious optimism around Oklahoma State football heading into the season. Uh, you've got Alan Bowman. I talked about you know him and, and Brendan Presley going out to California. Uh, Presley talked about it and basically said, look, he just hit us up, and he's like, hey, guys, y'all want to go to Cali? And he said it's no different than when if we would have been working out in Tulsa. We were just in California. But those reps in the offseason are crucial. There, there was some interesting nuggets in, in the piece that I read uh, about Brennan Presley trying to put off, trying to put on weight this offseason, and he wasn't able to do it. He, he just, for whatever reason, the way uh, his body works, he, he couldn't put on weight this offseason. So instead of doing that, he started just really working and trying to fine-tune his skills, his, his ball skills as a receiver, uh, just being able to expand his catch radius, have good hands, things of that nature, route running, and speed. And, and he talked about the route running and said, you know, it's, it's not stuff that people are going to notice watching on TV or from the stands, but to me, I notice. And he's trying to get crisper at all of these different things uh, that he does. He has to be more involved in the offense this year. Um, I, I don't think that a player of his caliber and talent could really be less involved uh, than he was a year ago. I mean, he only scored two touchdowns. That's just simply not enough for Brennan Presley. Obviously, we know the struggles that the offense had down the stretch, but I expect him to be a much more critical uh, and valuable part of this team. 
for Oklahoma State this upcoming season. So uh, I think that pretty much covers all the football nuggets for this week. I do want to dive back into a lot of this stuff with Carson next week, but just a clean clean house on a couple of things uh, that we haven't been able to get to. We had the, the long July 4th weekend, busy catching up on work, and then the travel. So a couple of things that we missed. Number one was Kelly Maxwell hopping into the transfer portal. I mentioned Coach Gajewski's post earlier, and it, it really is kind of like he said, you have to take the good with the bad and and – you know, I, I, she has not committed yet. I do fear that she's going to go to Norman after Jordy Ball transferred uh, to be closer to home. So I, I do think that it's a possibility she goes to Norman. She said that she, she needed to do this for her happiness. Uh, this is one of those things. It, it's hard to know what is going on in these people's lives. And it's, it's really easy to just do the fan thing of, well, you burned us. You might go down there. Um, so long kick rocks, but I, I think that that lacks some just human empathy and, and takes the human element out of it because we just don't know what is going on in these, these young people's lives. Um, and so much depends on success at this level. I, I just, and happiness, everything that goes into it, um, Certainly, I wish that she was staying at Oklahoma State, and if she goes to Oklahoma, it is going to make me sick to my stomach. Uh, but I agree with Coach Gajewski that we, we should continue to give our energy to the players who are at Oklahoma State uh, who have made that program great. Kelly Maxwell has been one of those players for a while now. Uh, now she's headed out the door. So um, it, it's a bummer to see her go, and, but I truly hope that she finds what she's looking for. The, the fact that she talked about her personal happiness in that post makes me think that there was something in Stillwater that just wasn't quite um, the best fit for her, and, and whether that's something that's been brewing. It doesn't seem like that's been brewing based on comments she's made in the past. She's been very complimentary of Stillwater, uh, but whatever the reason is, Kelly Maxwell just felt she needed to move on and uh, wish her the best. Hope it's not in Norman. Uh, if it is, we're not going to be able to root for you next year, but uh, hope that she finds whatever she's looking for. The other thing that we never got to was Ricky Fowler uh, getting the elephant off his back. So, so, so happy for Ricky Fowler. Obviously, I watched every shot, every hole. Uh, it was unbelievable. I, I thought that he was going to give it away coming down the stretch, and then he gets it done with an amazing shot into 18 uh, in regulation, and then maybe an even better shot from a terrible angle in the rough uh, in the playoff on 18 to get there. He's playing well over in Scotland this week, and then the Open Championship is next week. It is at Royal Liverpool in Hoylake, and a lot of conversation has been made. I'm going to get a little bit golf nerdy for everybody now. A lot of conversation has been made that this course is going back to where Rory McIlroy won in 2014. Rory McIlroy won by two shots. Uh, Tiger Woods won here in 2006. So this is, uh, this is big cats only, pun intended. Now, what I have not heard anyone talk about is the fact Ricky Fowler was the runner-up that year to uh, Rory McIlroy, the co-runner-up alongside Sergio Garcia. That was kind of when Rory, uh, pardon me, Ricky, was in his peak major swing right there, right? Uh, I believe it was that year or the next year where he finished top five in all four majors. I think it was 14, but it could have been 15. Um, Ricky was playing really good golf then. Ricky is playing really good golf now. Ricky is legitimately, right now, he's one of the best players in the world. He's a lock to make the Ryder Cup team. It's just, it is such a breath of fresh air to see Ricky Fowler back to where he is in his on-course career after uh, what we've watched him go through on the course the last few years. It just was not working with John Tillery. And, and Ricky, typical all-class, has been nothing but complimentary of John Tillery since 
uh, since he left and went back to Butch Harmon. But Butch has got him back in the right spot. Ricky has the confidence back now. The putter is working. Uh, he didn't get it done at the U.S. Open, but he did get it done at the Rocket Mortgage Classic. I do think just simply getting that win getting, you know, the, the elephant off his back, that weight being lifted off his shoulders. I hope that that kind of frees him up a little bit, and I do expect him to be a contender next week at Royal Liverpool. I appreciate everyone for listening. Those of you who, you know, again, we've been off for a couple of weeks, who've been sending me messages, hitting me up on Twitter about Big 12 Media Days, Kelly Maxwell, all that good stuff. Appreciate that. I will be back next week with Carson. We will dive into a lot of the things that I talked about today, get Carson's thoughts about a lot of this stuff, uh, and then Whatever else comes up, we are on it. Appreciate everyone listening. As always, go Pokes.